This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.onf.ie Hello, good morning and welcome to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock. Thanks to John Walsh for the last two hours of music, news, information and banter. And a big thank you and welcome back to Stephen Byrne. Good to see him face to face after months of remote working. This morning on The Bottom Line, we'll hear the story behind Ireland's COVID tracker app. And with almost a month since hotels cautiously started to reopen after the COVID lockdown, we'll pay a visit to the Lyrath Estate Hotel in Kilkenny. The new Chief Executive of Retail Excellence Ireland, which represents 13,000 stores around the country, will talk to us about retail in these COVID-dominated times. And we'll be talking to the newly elected presidents of Kilkenny and Carlow Chambers of Commerce. But first, business this week was dominated by the eagerly waited release of the government's stimulus package. Yesterday afternoon, just uh, less than 24 hours after the release of the document, I caught up with our resident bottom line economist, Jim Power, to talk about the package and the overall environment facing business. I started by asking Jim for his reaction to the government stimulus package. Well, the COVID-19 stimulus plan um, is worth $7.4 billion, um, and that is the largest ever stimulus package the economy has seen. So in the overall scheme of things, it is a huge, huge move by government. And of course, it comes on top of all of the other monies that have been spent since early March, particularly in supporting those who have lost their jobs as a result of COVID-19 and also the various supports on employment that have been given to employers. So it, it's a very significant package. Um, roughly $2 billion of it is credit guarantees, and the rest is a combination of some tax reductions and some very, very significant spending increases. Um, so in, in overall terms, it is a very significant package. Um, there wasn't a lot in it that came as a surprise um, I think the thing that stands out and certainly caught me by surprise was the reduction in the standard VAT rate from 23% to 21% for a six-month period. Um, that surprised me because I really believed if they were going to do something on the VAT front, it should be targeted specifically at the sector that is under most pressure at the moment, which is the hospitality sector. And, um, you know, I had been calling, as had the industry, for uh, a reduction to 5% in the VAT rate from 13.5% until the end of 2021. Um, But, you know, government decided against that. I think it's surprising because the 2% cut in the standard VAT rate for six months costs about $400 So it's a lot of money. And really, it's not going to have that much impact on anything Whereas if they had specifically targeted the hospitality sector with the 5% rate or even, you know, a 9% rate, um, I think that would have been much more meaningful. So that's the bit I'd be critical of. Um, There are, you know, uh, definitely positive elements to it. Um, The the most dominant feature of the whole package is the extension of the pandemic unemployment payment 
to those people who have lost their jobs and also the extension of the temporary wage subsidy scheme for those who hold on to their jobs but their employer can pay them wages at the moment. Um, both of those schemes have been extended out to April of next year. Um, I think that is really welcomed. I think it's really important because it was one thing for affected businesses to reopen when they were allowed to reopen over recent weeks. Um, it's a totally different matter entirely for those businesses to survive what will be a challenging um, business environment for the next 12, 18 months because of um, the economic background, the lack of confidence, but more particularly because of the social distancing requirements, you know, which are having a huge impact on restaurants, for example, and obviously pubs. So um, I think that's very positive, and I think employers will welcome that. Um, the 7.4 million, or sorry, it's... 7.4 billion um, we've seen big announcements of billions before but they generally extend over years and years this is very concentrated 7.4 billion as well it's effectively between now and ex- next April I'm oh, it, it, it is indeed um, it's, it's pretty dramatic stuff um, but um, I think pretty dramatic stuff is what exactly what is required at the moment because we are living through a pretty dramatic period you know mm. um, when businesses were forced to shut down so I, I think a sort of a short sharp response was needed to this and I think you know we, we've got that to a large degree um, this week um, I, th- I also think it is interesting to bear in mind that the stimulus plan we saw yesterday is a short term plan as you say um, you know most of the money will be spent by next April that's important but in early October um, when the budget for 2021 is published the government is also going to publish um, a national economic recovery plan and both of those will take a more sort of a measure long term perspective on what the economy needs Um, so you know we we can await that but the, the important thing is that you know the government has stepped in at this stage and has addressed some of the concerns um, that business owners have. Yeah, um, and the Taoiseach saying that the measures address every significant area of economic activity, but as you say, there was no kind of sectoral targeting. You had been on record, and we talked on this programme yes. about um, you know, giving people a voucher to I- encourage uh, retail activity. Retail figures, I'll be talking later in the programme to the new Chief Executive of Retail Excellence Ireland, but huge drops in retail, uh, and nothing specifically geared at them other than the reduction in VAT? No, I mean uh, retailers will obviously welcome the reduction in the VAT rate. Um, They will and should also welcome the um, continuation of the employment um, subsidies the two schemes that I mentioned Um, but um, uh, there, there was nothing in there specifically to get people spending in retail outlets again, you know, so um it's a little bit like the curate's egg i'd say as far as the retail sector is concerned some good bits but also some bad bits and um you know they didn't get everything they want the other thing they did of course get was and i think this is significant as well um the commercial rates waiver has now been extended out to september that's Mm. also important for retailers so that there is some stuff in there for retailers there's no doubt about that uh, but the voucher scheme certainly wasn't looked at. And the only um, thing I suppose the government did in that direction was the for 
from the 1st of October for a six-month period, money spent in um, on food, hospitality, oh, yeah, accommodation, that, you know, there will be a 20% tax refund on that. That's quite um, innovative. Up to a limit of €625. Euro. So, you know, that's significant. But I would have thought, actually, that that money is going to be spent anyway. So it's a little bit of a dead weight loss, to use the economic jargon. Um, I think the money could have been better targeted at, you know, for example, that shopping voucher which we spoke about, or indeed the, um, the reduction in the VAT rate to 5%. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, for an economist, it must be a very interesting period because this all clicks in in, in September or August, September. Then, as you say, you'll have the budget in October. Um, and the other thing about it is that I haven't heard mentioned too much is Brexit. And Brexit exit talks aren't going too well at all. Another economic spasm coming down the tracks pretty soon in the middle of this period. Yes, John, we, we've all been preoccupied and obsessed to a large degree with covid since early March and justifiably so. But Brexit is rumbling along in the background. Um, the talks, the negotiations between the UK and the EU were ramped up in July and will be ramped up again in August. But the soundings we're hearing at the moment are not very optimistic. But I, I, I wouldn't get carried away about that because this is always the nature of negotiations. If you think back to this day last week, for example, we were getting a lot of negative um, feedback from the budget negotiations that were going on in Brussels, you know, and ultimately a deal was agreed. So I, I wouldn't write off a deal being agreed on Brexit yet. Uh, because there's still a long way to go in that process over the next few months. Um, my gut instinct, and I stress it's a gut instinct for what it's worth, uh, it is not a scientifically based forecast, but my gut instinct is that at the end of the day, some sort of deal will be agreed between the UK and the European Union, which will avoid the UK crashing out of the transition mechanism without a deal on the 1st of January next. Um, but, uh, you know, um, should businesses plan on the basis of a gut instinct I might have? No, they shouldn't. Um, businesses should still plan on the basis there's a high risk that there will be a crash out Brexit on the 1st of January next. World Trade Organization tariffs could apply um, that morning. So businesses con need to continue to prepare for that eventuality. Hopefully, um, it won't come to pass. As I say, I suspect it won't, but um, it, it's a high risk at this stage and business needs to continue to plan on that basis. Um, for, and from an economy point of view, you know, obviously that sort of scenario would seriously exacerbate the problems that COVID-19 is already creating. Um, last weekend, you know, well, it was Tuesday actually, eventually in Brussels as part of that budget deal, um, there was a five billion fund set up to help those countries and those sectors most negatively affected by Brexit. And, you know, one assumes that Ireland could get a significant lump of that money because Ireland and Irish business will be by far the most adversely affected by a hard Brexit in the European Union. Yeah. Uh, following up on that point, I mean, talking about Brexit, there seems to be quite a good acceptance that Ireland is managing reasonably well, both from the health and the economy point of view and taking good measures. But we are in a global economy and COVID still is on the up. What's the outlook for the global economy, in your view, over the next couple of months? 
the, the outlook for the global economy is fraught with uncertainty and risks at this stage. You know, it, it, it was always going to be the case that the global economic recovery would be determined and driven by how the virus behaves itself and how it's contained. Um, in the United States at the moment, you know, it is disturbing. The numbers are increasing dramatically. Um, I spoke to my brother in San Francisco yesterday who was telling me that um, a lot of businesses in San Francisco are starting to shut down again. Uh, and that's commonplace across the states at the moment. So, uh, and, and obviously that, that's going to damage economic activity. And, you know, the bottom line is really until a safe and effective vaccine is delivered, um, the risk is that the, that the economic recovery story is going to be very much stop-start for the foreseeable future. Okay, you know, they will, there's a very delicate balancing act here between trying to preserve the health of nations, the health of the people, and the health of the economy. And, you know, you can't have one without the other. But what we've seen happen, you know, over the last couple of months is a gradual um, focus on trying to restore the health of the economy. But that's posing risks for the health of the nation as the cases start to rise again. It's a very delicate balancing act and will remain that way as I say, until a safe and effective vaccine is delivered. And, and how do you rate Ireland's performance so far as somebody who's not a critical, but do you think we're doing as well as I'm kind of indicating? Yeah, I think we are. I think, I think we're doing fine. I am loath, actually, to criticise anybody at the moment in relation to COVID because, you know, we're dealing with a situation we've never had to deal with before. Um, we still don't fully understand the virus, how it's transmitted, etc., and how it's going to be brought under control. So, you know, early in the process, Sweden was being lauded as an example of how to do it right because they had a very open-up economy approach to it, and those that locked down significantly were being criticised. That has now flipped. I mean, the Swedish situation has deteriorated dramatically, whereas those countries that locked down significantly, like New Zealand, are looking like stars at the moment. But, of course, the problem for New Zealand is that while they have effectively eliminated COVID-19, they have their borders shut. And as they reopen their borders, um, obviously the risk of um, inward infection will rise again. And let's face it, for New Zealand, tourism is an incredibly important part of the economy. So there's no right or wrong answer here. You know, it's, it's highly risky stuff. And for Ireland, as a small open economy, where foreign direct investment, where tourism is so important, um, where, you know, crop, we have a border on the island, all of these things really complicate the situation for us. Um, it's very easy to go around criticizing government for allowing Americans come in here, for example. Um, but, you know, is it possible for a country like Ireland to close its borders? Um, I, I think not. Incredibly difficult. Uh, because, you know, they, people can come in through Northern Ireland and cross the border without any problem. So it's, 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 it's a very, very complicated process. And um, on balance, um, I think, you know, we have been doing as well as might be expected in a very, very difficult and uncertain situation. That's great, Jim. 
Jim Power there talking to me about the government stimulus package uh, which was unveiled on Thursday last. Coming up, we'll be talking to the newly elected presidents of Kilkenny and Carlow Chambers of Commerce. Do stay with us. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice, www.omf.ie. The heart of two counties. KCLR. KCLR indeed, it's 23 and three quarters minutes after nine o'clock to be precise. John Purcell with you on the bottom line. Now, the last month has seen a changing of the guard, or perhaps more accurately, a transfer of the chains of office at both Carlow and Kilkenny Chambers of Commerce with the appointment of two new presidents, each for a two-year term. A very interesting time for each of them, I'm sure. I'm delighted to be joined on the line by Colin Ahern, who's president of Kilkenny Chamber of Commerce, and Colin Duggan, who's president of Carlow Chamber of Commerce. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, John. How are you? Good, thanks. Morning, I'll start with you, Colin Duggan, in Carlow. Yep. There's never been a more challenging time for business, perhaps. Uh, how are you feeling as you face into uh, your term of office as President of Carlow Chamber? Yeah, it, it, it is a challenging time, um, but it, more, it's more pressing now than, than, than ever that we need to come together to support one another, uh, to help business owners uh, navigate their, their way through this difficult time. And I suppose, as uh, Jim had mentioned already, there's more challenges down the road. Brexit isn't far away. And then uh, we we also have to navigate uh, the the way through uh, this uh, COVID time and and the recovery stage. Colin Ahern, how are you feeling about it? It's um, uh, excited trepidation, maybe. Uh, it, It is challenging, but uh, it's exciting to be, I suppose, at the start of something. Communication, cooperation between businesses in Kilkenny and in the southeast is going to be so important over the next couple of years to help uh, restart business and uh, to be, you know, in the middle of it. Uh, I'm very excited. Both of you, uh, as well as sharing a, a common Christian name, both of you, Collins, both of you are general managers of busy and successful hotels. Um, so you're used to a remorseless business that's 24-7, pretty much. Uh, resilience, facing challenges, the show must go on. Um, it's been unprecedented, and this past week uh, we've seen the stimulus package. Uh, Colin Duggan, how are you feeling about it, and how does do the members of Carlo Chamber feel about the stimulus package? The stimulus package is, is, is welcomed. It, it's far-reaching, um, and it, it, it deals with a lot of the the, the, the issues we're we're, meet, we're seeing now. Um, it, it, the, the issue of liquidity is is, is looked after. Uh, the uh, employment wage subsidy is so important uh, for the, for the ongoing uh, recovery of businesses, and also the, the the extension of the restart grant and waiver commercial rates. Those two things, uh, in the short term, will, will help the, rec- the recovery of business in Carlow. Uh, Colin Ahern, um, I've spoken to you many times over the years about the VAT rate as it applied to tourism, and, and during the crash there was a reduction applied and then it went back up again. I sense from tourism people, though, that there's a bit of disappointment about the VAT thing. Is it going to help much the tourism and hospitality industry? Yeah, certainly. Look, I mean, the, 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 the stimulus package has been broadly welcomed, but I do think that there's been an opportunity missed. And I hope that the government don't underestimate the, the scale of the, of the issue with regard to hospitality and retail. 
uh, there was an opportunity. You know, the 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 tourism VAT rate has worked. We've proven it's proven that it worked. You know, after the last um, after the last um, crash, um, we we were able to employ another ninety thousand people um, uh, with the help of the uh, of the VAT rate. So, you know, I hope there hasn't. I, I hope there's not a misunderstanding of the scale of of the problem, and perhaps. In, in a stimulus package at a later date they look at something like that We have to look beyond um, just COVID and so on and there are other long running issues we had Mr Simon Harris the new Minister for Higher Education on, uh, on with Emer yesterday the Technological University of the South East is still on the agenda um, it's something that's equally important to business in Carlow and Kilkenny I would suggest Colin how are you feeling about it are you optimistic that this will move up the agenda and into reality I think it will uh, it's, it's, it's troubling along a long time now um, they, they've been trying to to push ahead uh, with, with this amalgamation of, of Waterford, Waterford and Carlow into University of the South East um, for over five years now and they're, they're coming close to, to, to uh, finding uh, the, the right uh, the, the uh, spec uh, for both uh, to, to move forward. And I think it's so important for the development of Carlo and Kilkenny uh, to have a university on our doorstep. Um, and Colin O'Hearn, uh, um, if, if this was in a private sector project and it had been going on as long and you were the general manager and someone was coming into you saying that, yeah, it, it's coming along, it's coming along, and it kept dragging on, what would you do? You know, at some point, <clears throat> at some point, it needs, you know, people. People need to be, to be, to be brought together, and and things to make happen, and, and things to be made happen. Um, and there are people. There, there are people in government. Uh, we have we have um, TDs in, in in the southeast that you know need to be given responsibility to help make make this happen. I mean, it is vital for Kilkenny. It's vital for the southeast uh, and for and uh, for for our region. Um, because for long enough, um, you know, we we're, we're, we've seen it happen so easily already uh, between uh, between Limerick and Athlone, and 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 it can happen. And so someone just needs to take it by the scruff of the neck um, and, and 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 drive it through. And would you be confident um, that Simon Harris is the man for the job at the moment? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I, I, his experience in uh, the health uh, uh, HSE uh, has, uh, I, I'd say, hardened him. And he, he he will have the resolve to complete this. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think it's, it's a fantastic portfolio for him. Uh, we have Brendan MacDonald of the IDA on the programme last week, I think it was. He was outlining the changes uh, that have taken place, like IDA now not doing you know actual site visits, but virtual site visits. Always a bone of contention, the amount of site visits um, in this area. How are you guys feeling about, uh, on behalf of the Chambers, um, on behalf or in relation to the positive development of new business, uh, foreign direct investment? Colin Ahern in Kilkenny first. Well, I mean, in, in, in the last couple of months, John, there's been there's been nearly, I believe, 200 jobs announced uh, into Kilkenny. So, so things are certainly happening. I mean, whilst, whilst I'm in the hospitality business and, 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 and a business that has probably been most affected by by COVID, we are conscious that there are other businesses that are that that, that are that have kept the business they have and indeed have grown um, during this time. And so, the chamber is is, is really working hard to engage with those businesses as well to promote 
Kilkenny as a, a really brilliant place to set up a business, to start a business or to grow your business into. And Colin Duncan, uh, MSD, uh, a huge success story and a lot of positiveness around that for the future. Yeah. So it's a really good story for Carlo. Yeah, uh, MSD is one of those IDA projects that was developed in Carlo, uh, and uh, it, it's grown from uh, 300 uh, uh, people to nearly just short of a thousand people uh, next year. Um, it, it's one of those great success stories. But let's not uh, rest on our laurels there. Carlo needs more uh, IDA projects uh, to be developed. As Kilkenny does, uh, you, you know, uh, we need to to move out of Dublin and uh, 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 have a, a spatial plan that uh, that, that, that works uh, uh, with uh, the development of, of counties, not just uh, Dublin. Uh, yeah. Now we've talked about other businesses, but uh, both chambers are businesses uh, yourselves. You both pivoted very quickly to doing online training, online meetings, and so on. I think both of your AGMs were virtual AGMs, which is a which is a histri- historic first. How has the work been affected of your chambers? Uh, and in many ways, is there a lot of positivities in the virtual space now that you can bring meetings together easier? Colin Ahern, maybe. Yeah, look, there, there are absolutely opportunities. I mean, I have to pay credit to the staff, um, to the CEO, John Hurley and Roshan McQuillan, and, and really, you know, they, they, they embraced the changes that needed to happen very quickly uh, and worked with the board um, in, in, in coming up with some new and dynamic ways of, of keeping members and generating revenue. I mean, membership ju- isn't our only uh, form of income, and whilst that will be down somewhere in the region of, of 15 to 20% year on year, I suppose the biggest challenge is the events that we would have run that would have created uh, income to keep the chamber going. And uh, in, in, in case of, for example, the biggest one that we would have uh, normally at the end of the year, the business awards, that's, um, that's unf- that looks like it won't happen, unfortunately. So we have to come up with new ways online and, and the webinars and the chamber chats that we've been doing have, have created great engagement and it's, it's, it's probably something that we'll continue going forward. Colin Duggan, um, the Carlo Business Awards normally held in September, if, if memory serves. Presumably that's off the agenda as we would have had it in previous years. Yeah, as uh, Colin was saying... Uh, all those uh, bigger events uh, where, where we would have uh, had uh, great opportunities for networking, they can't happen in, in that format uh, uh, as we see it. Um, but let's be honest, I, I think at, at the end of this year, it's a medal for every business we need to give, uh, not just uh, for a single award for, uh, for, for in, in each category. Um, but we need to facilitate uh, more focused uh, network events online uh, where we bring, the, bring people together and they can share knowledge, talk through their problems, and they can all navigate and go forward together um, and sharing uh, each, each other's experiences. Okay, gentlemen, we have to leave it there. Thanks very much to uh, Colin Ahern, who's President of Kilkenny Chamber of Commerce, and Colin Duggan, President of County Carlow Chamber of Commerce. And we look forward to having both those gentlemen on the uh, bottom line over the term of their uh, tenure as presidents of their respective chambers. We're going to be talking to the Chief Executive of Retail Excellence Ireland after these. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie 
The heart of two counties. KCLR. You're very welcome back. You're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock. Well, it's been another big and busy week in retail with the introduction of face masks in shops, the announcement of the stimulus package and so much more. Retail Excellence Ireland was established in 1995 and represents a mass of 13,000 stores in Ireland. On Tuesday last, uh, the organisation announced a new C CEO. He's got a wealth of retail experience gained from senior positions with Brown Thomas Marks and Spencers and Specsavers to name just a few. Joining me on the phone is Duncan Graham. Duncan, congratulations. How are you feeling about taking on this big job at a really difficult time for retail? Yes, good morning, John. Yes, isn't it just? Wow, how extraordinary. Um, yes, big challenge um, and um, never a dull moment at the minute. I think, uh, you know, I've had plenty of retail experience over the last uh, 25 plus years but um, you know facing into this one is just something completely uh, new altogether but let's face it we're all we're all in that boat aren't we so um, onwards and upwards absolutely and now you're just releasing a survey on the retail trade for the first six months of 2020 it must be unprecedented and there's never been a survey like it yeah absolutely it's it's um it's quite dramatic um i guess look we started out quarter one uh, beginning of the year uh, i think we were, we were certainly going quite well january and february looked pretty strong um and then literally we hit uh, the last couple of weeks of march and it dropped off a cliff so the quarter actually finished down about five uh, percent uh, with that but of course you know the worst was yet to come a quarter two uh, overall retail sales look like they're down about 30 percent um which is is i guess understandable um you know things like grocery inevitably held up uh, pretty well the essential retailers held up well grocery and uh, and pharmacy um, but all the non-essential areas um you know were 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 hit very hard so menswear ladies wear for example down by down by over 75 percent um but of course you know this this the thing has shifted john you know we, we're now seeing the growth of online um and online sales through the period uh, we're up over 200% compared to 2019, which is just dramatic. It's it's a, a major shift in terms of our our, our you know, movement towards online shopping. So um, those are those are the trends. Uh, and obviously, you know, as the year's gone on, um, you know, we saw a bit of a bounce back uh, in in June as we started, or end of May, beginning of June as we started to reopen again. Um, but certainly not back to the levels that we were seeing at the start of the year. You know, a bit of pent up demand maybe in early June, but um, you know, we seem that seems to have dropped away a bit over the last few weeks. And online has always been an issue for traditional bricks and mortar retail. But I, I sense that there's a bit of taking back control with people kind of uh, blending the online activities into their bl- bricks and mortar and a lot of innovative ways of engaging with traditional customers using online. Yeah, you, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, the future for retailers is going to be not just bricks and mortar, you know, with the showroom, if you like, of, 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 of retailers. But, you know, people are going to be more and more buying online. They're going to be buying bricks and mortar. They're going to be planning their, uh, their trips to shops um, and, and using options like click and collect, um, you know, making sure things are reserved for them when they walk in. So, you know, we've, we've really seen that shift to 
spending less time in the shop, uh, more time online, more time doing the research, more time looking at social media, um, and and that's where retailers have had to move to. But you know, one of the things that we've been working hard with members on is developing their online presence. You know, we've done a lot of webinars with retailers. Um, we've supported them in getting the grants from Enterprise Ireland, um, and obviously some of those grants I think have just ended with the July stimulus. So that's all been very positive. But there's no doubt about it; it's a major shift. Uh, that's gone on over the last few months. One of the big things for bricks and mortar has always been the customer experience. The customer experience now dramatically changed, uh, you know, hand sanitising, face masks and so on. Since last Monday, face masks have been pretty much mandatory in shops. How are both retailers and customers responding to that? Well, I, I think it was one of these things, um, you know, it came a little bit out of the blue. I know it had been announced in the UK uh, a couple of weeks back, Um uh, I think in reality what happened was uh, the customer responded pretty quickly in places like shopping centres, uh, main um, shopping areas of towns and cities. You know, they, they, they plan, when they're planning the journey, they're coming in uh, with their face mask. I think it's a difference if you're going into your local convenience store um, and you're not necessarily prepared for it. But I would say what I was seeing certainly last weekend uh, was an uptake of around probably 70-75% of people wearing face masks. Now, there's no legislation come through yet on this. Uh, we're expecting it through uh, you know, pretty imminently. Um, and, and I guess the big thing that our members are saying to us at the moment is, you know, please don't ask us to enforce this. You know, it's difficult enough um, with people coming in and out of stores. We absolutely back it from a, a public health stance, but it's, it's going to be difficult to enforce. We will do the right thing, and, and you know, you've certainly seen that um, you know, store staff and so forth are, are, forth are wearing face shields and face masks. Um, but it's a, a difficult transition, and it's going to take a little while to embed it. Finally, uh, Duncan, um, the, the stimulus package announced on, on Thursday, what's the response of Retail Excellence Ireland members? I think generally positive, John. Uh, certainly the things that we um, are, are very positive around would be the, the reduction of, of 2% in the, in the top VAT rate. Um, that's going to, to make a, a, you know, a substantial difference. Uh, the write-off of the uh, commercial rates till the, uh, at least the end of September, that's positive. The extension of the wage subsidy is positive. Um, and also the, the further 5 million plus in, in online retail so with the funding through uh, Enterprise Island. So that has been really good. Um, those are all the positives. I think the, the bits that uh, would be concerning is probably rent uh, at the moment. A lot of our members are saying that they are having difficult conversations with landlords, not so much at a local level. I think if you've got a landlord that's local, deals can be done. I think where we're finding it's a problem is, is when we've got um, you know some of these um, uh, foreign uh, uh, landlords and, and pension funds and so forth uh, who are not uh, necessarily engaging with with members on that so you know that's going to be the big battleground I suspect for the next two or three months um, and that's the bit that we're, members are most worried about overall in terms of the stimulus package look it's it's there it's good will it be enough that's the question mark Duncan Graham, the newly appointed Chief Executive of Retail Excellence Ireland, talking to us there about retail in these difficult COVID times. Staying on the subject of COVID, the launch of Ireland's COVID tracing app must surely be one of the most successful app launches in Irish app history. And since it went live on July 7th, I think it's been downloaded something like 1.4 million times and that's a fantastic achievement considering when you look across the water uh, old Boris Johnson announced that, that they were going to develop a world beating app and they literally spent tens of millions on it and abruptly abandoned it and 
still don't have one coming up. Well, the Irish app was developed by an Irish company which is headquartered just down the road in Tremor County, Waterford. I'm delighted to be joined on the line by Colm Hart, who's the technical director and project lead for Nearform, the company who developed the Irish COVID tracing app. Colm, congratulations. Welcome to the programme. Cast your mind back to March and the day you got the call from the HSE about developing this app. Morning, John. Yep, absolutely. So we got a call from the HSE asking if we could help uh, build a contact tracing app for Ireland. So we that was on a, a Sunday. I think it was Mother's Day. We immediately engaged the team. We had people that were very eager to be part of this effort. And we within a day, we'd gone back to the HSE with initial designs for how the app could flow and work and look. Um, and then within three days, we had a working initial prototype of the application that we were able to demo to the HSE um, on their mobile phones. Yeah, now put so this into perspective. Yeah, put yep. this in perspective. Um, when I was hearing Boris Johnson going on about it and they were using the Isle of Wight and all that, they were saying there was hundreds of people working on this app. How many did you have on your team? So we had a team of eight in Nearform working on this. Wow, that's pretty uh, basic. But you made a lot of uh, progress, uh, and you progressed through March into April. What was it like uh, knowing the urgency of the task you faced and knowing the importance of tracing and the fact that you had to get it right? Yeah, that was a critical part of everything we were focused on. So there was a lot of, obviously, intensity and effort put into it. Uh, you know, long, long days, weekend work, uh, to try and come up with something that we felt would be at the level and quality that it needed to be. There were certainly challenges and difficulties, and then during April, obviously, we did have to do a switch and move across to the Google and Apple new exposure notification service that they released at that point in time. And it was around that issue that caused the uh, UK app to be just shelved and dumped and, and put on the scrap heap. You worked around that. That must have been a hell of a challenge. Tell us about the, how that actually went. Yeah, so it was a big decision at the time to switch across. When we first started back in March, Google and Apple hadn't announced anything, so we were taking a similar approach uh, as the UK had taken in the cent- using a centralised model. Then Apple and Google announced their decentralised model, so you know the HSE made the choice that this was the better way to go from a privacy perspective and also solved some of the really difficult challenges around Bluetooth uh, on the phones themselves. Yeah, and... Um you, you made that pivot, made press, but testing uh, and working glitches out of the system is critical. Um, and we have to remember, we were operating in very locked down times. How did you go about testing it? And it was a critical aspect, I'm sure, of the project. Absolutely, it was. And the HSE brought in another company to be in charge of the testing aspect. So Explio came in. Uh, they had people dedicated to just testing the application across different scenarios. The lockdown certainly had made it challenging because they couldn't get their people together to test, so they all had to test individually from home. So they put a lot of hours into like, making sure that it was as effective as it could be. Yeah, so um, the, the project, or the app went live, I think, on July 7th. Um, tell us about July 6th in the near form office. How were you all that day? Uh, pretty tense. You know, you were doing a lot of last-minute checking, uh, second-guessing yourself, you know, did you forget anything? Was there anything we overlooked? what could potentially go wrong, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, it's, it's, you're excited about the launch, but there is an element of trepidation just in case something doesn't go as expected from a technical perspective. Yeah, now, um, it strikes me that it's probably a bit like a duck. You look, or a swan, you look serene on the surface, but there's frantic uh, paddling going on behind the scenes. Um, it's been a very successful launch, I would imagine, but the story doesn't end there. No, there's going to be continued effort to obviously continue to assess how effective it is to make improvements to the application itself. Google and Apple are making 
updates and new releases to their APIs, which will have to be incorporated. So it's it's an ongoing effort. It's not a it's not something you build once and then just leave it there. Yeah. Now, um, your company's actually been on the go for quite a while, and headquartered in Tremor, but you work all over the world. Tell us a bit about the company and what you think this uh, project will do for you in terms of developing the company. Yeah, as you mentioned, we're headquartered at Tremor. We have people working for Neoform spread across 21 countries. So we take a remote-first model, and we have done for the last few years. So we hire people based on talent as opposed to location, which allows us to bring in some incredibly talented people into the company, which is one of the reasons we're able to deliver so effectively. Um, in terms of the work on the COVID app itself, you know, we're engaging now with other governments and states to bring the same app to, to them as well. And uh, how are you feeling about the future? I was having a look through your um, your client list. Pretty impressive. Give us a few samples. Yes, we've done a lot of work with people like Ernest & Young, IKEA, um, Microsoft, IBM, um, others of that sort of caliber. Yeah, so um, uh, great work. The company must be very proud of uh, the COVID app. Have you had any virtual celebrations or anything along those lines after you successfully launched it? We did. We had so uh, again. We had a, a Zoom celebration, uh, just to, you know internally to to go through the experience and uh, effectively, you know, we were very proud of what we've achieved and had the success of the app to date. Well, Colm, it's a great story, and thank you for joining us uh, to share it. And best of luck to everybody in near form. And thank you for your work on behalf of everybody who uses the app. It's a reassurance to know uh, that we've got such a solid app uh, uh, in relation to this very serious topic of uh, COVID-19. That's uh, Colm Hart, who's Technical Director and Project Lead of Nearform in Tremor County, Waterford, the company who... Um, developed the COVID tracing app. Coming up, we're going to be talking uh, tourism and hospitality and how Lyrath Estate Hotel is getting on in this new COVID era. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, offering a broad range of business and advisory services to businesses large and small across the southeast. At the heart of it all. Just coming up to six minutes away from 10 o'clock. Edward Hayden joining you at 10 o'clock. Do stay tuned. Now, about five weeks ago, I paid a visit to the New Park Hotel in Kilkenny as they put the finishing touches to their preparations for reopening after the COVID lockdown and as they got ready to welcome their first guests back into the new post-lockdown world and we were all wondering how it was going to go. So I thought it would be worthwhile to visit another one of this area's leading hotels to see how things are going. So yesterday, I paid a visit visit, or rather visits, long story, won't go there, to the five-star Lyrath Estate Hotel, which is just outside Kilkenny City. I sat down with Deirdre Grant, the marketing manager at the hotel, and I started our conversation by asking her how things have been going since the hotel reopened. We reopened our doors back to welcome guests on Monday the 29th of June, and since then the demand for this summer staycation for families and couples has been going really, really well. Um, we have a lovely buzz and atmosphere around the hotel and we're all delighted just to be back working again in the hospitality industry. And uh, a lot has changed though because immediately when I come in you can see the hand sanitising stations and so on, markings for people to queue up. But you've done it, it's not very obtrusive, it's subtly done. 
Yeah, so we created our COVID protocol team um, during the last couple of months preparing for welcoming back guests again. Um, so we've kind of branded our markings inside. We have a queue system where it's needed to be screens when people pop in, all the usuals. But the biggest change, I suppose, from our side is managing the amount of people in any one area at a time. Just pre-booking is what we're recommending for breakfast, for lunch, um, swimming time slots even, and then for dinner, just having that information in advance. And how are uh, customers adjusting? Like you've adjust your, adjusted your staffing and so on, but how are uh, people who are visiting? Are they cooperating well and is it working well? Yeah, so um, it, look, it's up to the guests themselves. They're coming in and um, they know that there's a safety protocol in place. They know the cleanliness is there for the rooms and all of the things that we're putting into it. Um, they're, they're happy to have that booking system so that they know that they're in there, they have their table, that they're not waiting, that they're not on top of other tables, that there is social distancing between them. So they're lovely and comfortable and able to enjoy the five-star experience um, for their trip. Now, uh, you, you've quite a few activities here, but you've added new ones. Uh, you were talking to me about falconry. Tell, give us a quick rundown of all the stuff that people do around here. Oh, we're so lucky. We have 170 acres of grounds here, John, which is, which is fantastic. So we're really putting an emphasis on that outdoor space. We have our barbecue pavilion. We have cycling tracks, walking tracks, archery, and then falconry. So we're working with John from Hawkeye Falconry. They're based in Waterford. So they've just set up permanently here on the estate, and we're able to offer that activity to guests and non-residents alike. Pre-booking is just needed in advance. One of the big things uh, of that created the most headlines were, was the disruption to weddings. Uh, Lyrath, a huge wedding venue, uh, what impact has it has had on you and like what changes are you seeing? Well, look, yeah, it affected everyone. We worked closely with all of our couples and we were able to accommodate them on dates into the future, some even to the end of this year and others into 2021. Just working with them, just creating the next, you know, the next chart. They don't know this. They're not, you know, we're all in the same boat for it. But I did see a little trend of smaller weddings inquiring now for the rest of this year. Just people just wanting to come in and have a lovely time with family and friends. You know, 20 to 30 people, lovely intimate gatherings. Now, overseas visitors, I presume, play a huge part in your uh, your business over the years. This year, it's presumably a wipeout, but are you seeing any signs of recovery or are people taking tentative steps towards next year? Well, I'm just halfway through my week with Virtual Metal, so it's um, an appointment system with all international buyers and tour operators. Usually, it's held earlier in the year in City West, but we're doing a virtual way of doing it now. We're all working towards 2021, 2022. There's a lot of positivity in the industry, and we're really excited to welcome those international tourists back next year and uh, we're sitting in a room as we speak that I hadn't been in before uh, and you told me it was previously an office tell us about that you didn't use the lose the lockdown so to speak but there have been some changes Oh, John, our team got busy over the last few months. Um, so we, we got rid of a couple of different offices downstairs in the Manor House and revamped the whole area to these new afternoon tea rooms. We're going to be launching them in September and you're all invited in for the party. Now, uh, a great buzz of people around and uh, I can see from the registrations in the car park people from all over the country here, but, but you're also open for local business. But um, just as with incoming guests, uh, people have to change their behaviour. It's not just rock up and have dinner. Unfortunately, we all have to be a little bit more booked and kind of, you know, organised with our going out for lunch and dinner. Yeah, look, we're accepting residents and non-residents, but please just be aware, give us a couple of days' notice before you pop in. Uh, we're just trying to limit the amount of people in the bar, in the restaurants at any one time, just to make sure that they all have a lovely experience. So still give us a call. We are open for business, but do pre-book.
Deirdre Grant, Marketing Manager of the Lyrath Estate Hotel, bringing us to the end of the bottom line this week. I do hope you've enjoyed the programme. If you've missed any bits, you can catch up on our podcast. Simply search for The Bottom Line, KCLR, anywhere you get your podcasts. Thank you to all my guests this week. Jim Power, Colin Ahern, Colin Duggan, Duncan Graham, Colm Hart and Deirdre Grant. Thanks to Deirdre Drummy who produced. Enjoy the weekend, have yourself a good week and hopefully we'll see you here again next week, just after nine, for another edition of The Bottom Line. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.onf.ie